The third article, sanctification. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. What does this mean? On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them, a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And after calling witnesses, as we just heard, he began to heal and teach in their synagogues all those who were sick, all those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics. He healed them. And great crowds followed him all around Galilee from all over. People walking in darkness have seen a great light. There's one bit of math that really intrigues me. I'm not a mathematician by any, by any stretch of the imagination. But there's one aspect of math that has intrigued me the last many, many decades, and, and when it was first described to me, I wondered what it really was all about, and it has to do with something called fractals. I read a book several years ago now. It was written by the science editor of the uh, New York Times, and it was just labeled chaos, and it had to do with something called chaos theory, which basically has the idea that in the middle of all the crazy that happens in our lives and in various kinds of circumstances, where you can't really plan for all of the variables, there is still a sense of orderliness that continues to exert itself even in the middle of all the chaos. I don't know if that's what you would expect to be true in your lives, but one of the things that it had to do with was this idea of fractals. And fractals are these mathematical patterns that are expressed particularly in nature that seem to scale in and out and are consistent at various stages of our experience. So for example, uh, anybody have any idea how much coastline there is in the United States of America? How much coastline there is? You may have any idea how much it is? A lot, good answer, perfect, yeah. And, and part of the answer is, what are you measuring with? What are you measuring with? And I'll tell you why I asked that question. Because if you take a rod, like a meter stick, but it's a, a mile long, and you start at the top of the north and go all the way down the south and around Florida and around, and you measure with that rod that's a mile long, you're going to come up with a number. But there's going to be a lot of little nooks and crannies that you will not have measured. So you might want to take a, a shorter rod, like maybe even a meter stick, and start going along the same route. And now, now honestly, you're going to come up with a much longer, much bigger number. But of course, even with that meter stick, there's going to be a lot of things that you won't have a chance to measure. 
until you might come up with a, a one centimeter stick. And now you're gonna go and trace that same route again. But of course, even in that, if you think back to very, very small distances, the distances between molecules, the distances between atoms, now that number gets very, very large. In fact, if you get down to very microscopic and even sub-microscopic elements of trying to measure the coastline in the United States, the answer is it is infinite. Well, how can that be? Because <laughs> you can go to the beach and you can walk the beach, but it all has to do with how you're looking at it. How are you measuring it? Are you measuring it with big sticks, little sticks, or submicroscopic sticks? Well, this is one example of fractals. Another example of fractals is if you're if you're there on the on the shore of a river, and the river is rushing past you, and and the river is washing its water around around rocks and divots in the bottom of the river, and you can see the various swirls of of the uh, of the water. And you can start thinking about whether the water is going on one side of the rock or the other side of the rock, and whether you could predict whether it would go on one side of the rock or the other side of the rock. And, and you can try as you might to come up with some pattern in the, in the midst of all that, but, but patterns evade us in those kinds of circumstances. So there's order. I mean, the, the, the river does what it does because of gravity and the banks of the river and so forth. But but in the middle of that order, there's always also chaos. And these things scale, large and small. I would suggest that that helps us understand Isaiah's prophecy. The people sitting in darkness have seen a great light. Because that great light, and in fact that darkness, comes in a wide variety of shapes and sizes. So, for example, in our, our text today, we have Peter and Andrew, and we have James and John, and they're fishing, and they haven't started following Jesus. Their call to follow Jesus is an example of somebody being called out of darkness and into the marvelous light of the Lord. They were doing one thing, and now they're doing another. Now, it's not necessarily that fishing is wrong or bad or serving their family and being a part of the business of Zebedee Incorporated, but they were to be called out of that and away from that and to follow Jesus. They were called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. But, but they weren't the only ones. There were those to whom then Jesus went to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean, to repent? What does it mean that the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Sounds good. Sounds pious. Sounds religious. Sounds like something you would expect to be in the Bible, but what does it mean? Repent of what? And, and I think a lot of us have, have come into and inherited the notion that re repenting means that I should stop doing things that are bad. 
I should stop taking home pens from the office. I, I should stop on red and I should go on green and I should not try to scoot through at the last minute on yellow quite as often. Or maybe I should just go ahead and set my cruise control to 55 when it's supposed to be 55 and 70 when it's supposed to be 70, not 72. Repent, right? That's what it means to repent. But what does that have to do with the kingdom of God? What does it have to do with the acclamation that Jesus is the king? But I think Jesus' words here are a little bit more instructive as to what it means to to really repent rather than to just stop stealing my kids' Halloween candy on November 1st. Although I probably shouldn't do that either. What I think Jesus is talking about is setting aside, turning away from all of the other false gods that have been running the show for our lives and to look alone to him because he is king. He is the one who is bringing the light. He is the one who is bringing the healing. He is the one who is bringing the kingdom of God, regardless of who happens to be king in Jerusalem, or regardless of who happens to be emperor in Rome, regardless of who happens to be making decisions in the county or in the state or in the nation. It is Jesus who is running the show. It is his word who is imparting truth. It is he who is the light, who is bringing light into the darkness and rescuing us out of that darkness, opening our eyes so that we can truly see and see from his perspective, see from heaven's perspective by the power of the Holy Spirit. The first two Sermons we heard in these last two weeks on the third article speak about that kind of coming into the light. I believe that I have no power of my own, no reason or strength of my own that would lead me to believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, but the Holy Spirit has called me out of the gospel, by the gospel into his marvelous light. He has called me to know, love, trust, and follow Jesus. He has called me to faith as he has for the whole church together, so that we can be family together in this life. Just like he does, not just for Peter and John, or James and Andrew, but for all of them then together. We called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, and then to go and share in his ministry, to be witness, to see the light, to see the light brilliantly as he continues to preach and to teach and to share the kingdom of God, the forgiveness of sins in him, and also the physical effects of that, the rolling back of death in a, in a small way to begin with, granted, in the healing ministry that he provides, opening eyes of blind people, and not just metaphorically, but opening them that they would see, opening their ears so that they would hear, and not just here, but to hear the gospel, to hear the good news of the king that we have been waiting for, the king who is descended from David, but not even just that, but, but from Adam himself, this king, the son of God, is now setting up his reign and rule, not, not to take over this world, but to take over hearts and minds for the sake of the world to come. 
calling out of darkness into his marvelous light. So those disciples, and then those disciples hearers as well, all the way down even to us today, to call us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. But it's not even just about conversion, is it? It's not just about not being a believer and then being a believer. It's not just about not seeing the truth about Jesus and then seeing the truth about Jesus. These are words also that speak of Jesus' own experience of going into the darkness, into the teeth of the darkness, into the teeth of death and hell, and into specific combat with our enemy, Satan himself, into the darkness to pierce it and to bring light into it so that the darkness cannot overcome it. He's going to go into death itself. He's going to meet the enemy on its own terms, and he is going to defeat it. And so with the sun rising on Easter Sunday morning, the king who has come extends and exerts his power and reign to bring life and light and immortality to light for all to hear and to know and to cling to. To call us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So that not only are the eyes of faith opened in our minds and hearts, but that that actually leads to dead eyes being opened on the day of resurrection so that we might see him face to face. To call us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The forgiveness of sins does this on a regular daily basis. It resets our vision. It resets our hopes. It resets our own clinging to Christ so that we know and hear and love his truth, his gospel. And then we can see all the rest of the people of this world as forgiven sinners, even though even though they don't know it yet, even though they're uncertain of it, even though they're still struggling and reaching out in the darkness. And so he calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light so that we can in turn tell that same story. To be citizens of this new kingdom of God, to be citizens of this kingdom of light in every place that we go, every place we Put our feet and in every re relationship that he sets us in. What a challenge that is. Because the darkness is there. The darkness is, is always impending. You know, there's all kinds of stories about who's in charge. And yet Jesus says, turn aside from all of those announcements, all of those heralds, and listen to me. Listen to me. Because I'm the one, I'm the one alone who has defeated the enemy that surrounds you, is laying siege to your life. The enemy that tries to convince you that there is a, a ticking clock that is counting the moments and counting the days, when in fact I've silenced it because you, you, my son, my daughter, will live forever in my kingdom. Because I'm going to call you out of darkness and into my marvelous light. Those demonstrations of his kingdom, both in word 
and indeed by healing and by exercising Satan and casting out demons, all of these things are indications of what he does when he calls us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He's going to free our hearts and minds from all of the affronts and all of the others that would constrict us and deny our own createdness, deny our own humanity to be part of his kingdom. And he's going to round up all of those, uh, those voices that curtail his kingdom. And ultimately, ultimately, it's not just going to be a healing here or a healing there, but it's going to be the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. The full impact of this king is this new creation that he is calling into being. Here is his prophetic ministry to look forward to the glory of the world to come. What's it going to be like in heaven? Well, it's going to be like Jesus putting it all back together again, just like it was supposed to be on the very first day, before sin ever was. And not just for two people, but for all of us to be clean, to be whole, to be at peace, to be under him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, even as he is risen from the dead, that this is most certainly true. So the Holy Spirit convinces me that this light and darkness is not just for now, though it is for now. And it is not just for me, though it is for me. And it is not just for some, though it is for some. Though it's not just a promise for all, though it is a promise to all. And it's not just for this moment, but for the world and for the life to come. Jesus experiences his own darkness on the cross. Good Friday is the template for all darkness, as the sun is clouded away by the darkness that impends because the Son of God is there on the cross. And Easter Sunday morning is the template for all the bursting through of light. Not only do we experience that in our own death and resurrection, but as, will the, as, as has happened with Jesus, so will also happen with the cosmos. It will come to its conclusion, the sun going dark and the stars being set aside and the moon, etc. But all because we don't need them anymore, because the light that sheds its light over all things bursts forth. There will be no more need to count the days because it will just be one great day in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so all and all will be gathered into him, under him in his kingdom. Repent. Turn aside from all the things that are not of the truth. Turn aside from all the allegiances for, for this life and cling to Christ. Redefining all of those allegiances, first of all, in service to him, and then in service to your neighbor, because he is king. And then, and then living in that light as a testimony to the light, just as his disciples worked to be, so also for us and into eternity, so that Jesus is one and all for all of us. In Jesus' name. Amen.
May the peace of God that passes all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in faith towards Christ Jesus. Amen.